heard a, a story a few, uh, a little while ago. You probably might be familiar with it. It's called the parable of the, the old engineer. And, and there was this, uh, this engineer, this mechanic who had worked at this factory for uh, most of his life. And uh, he got ready to retire. They threw him this big retirement party and everybody sent him out the door, you know, with the bang. And, and they just loved him and, and sent him home. And, and he'd been on retirement for two or three weeks from the factory that he worked at. And one of the machines at this factory uh, goes down. And so the management calls in a guy. They try to get the machine fixed. Everybody kind of huddles around the machine. Everybody tries to take a whack at figuring out how to fix it. Several weeks go on. The company's losing lots and lots of money. And so they can't figure it out. So they decide they're going to call up this old retired engineer. They're going to bring him out of retirement and have him come be a consultant. So the manager of the factory calls him up and says, hey, I need you to come, come look at this machine for me. And he says, oh, okay, no problem. So he walks in the door and carrying his bag, goes over to this machine, gives it a good look over, takes him a couple minutes. He reaches in his bag, pulls out a sledgehammer and whacks the machine really hard. And to everyone's surprise and amazement, the gears start turning, the machine starts whirling, and everything starts running just as it's supposed to. He walks out the door and says, hey, I'll, I'll, send you, I'll send you a bill. So no problem. Well, management a couple weeks later gets the bill, and they are through the roof. They are livid. They are angry because the bill says $5,000. And the manager says, I, I don't understand this. This guy wasn't here, but maybe five minutes. He just hit the thing with a hammer. $5,000, what's the, what's the deal? So he calls him up says, hey, man. I know you worked here for years, but $5,000 for this, it seems a little much. He said, you, you think you might could send me an itemized list of things here so we could figure this out? He said, yeah, no problem. So he sends him over an itemized list, and the manager opens it, and the list reads this. Hammer, $5. Knowing where to hit, $4,995. <laughs> and and isn't, isn't that the way that it goes? It, it, everything works better when you got somebody who knows where to smack the thing, so as where to hit the thing and get it running. And, and it feels like this last year has been a, a rough year, right? It feels like our world is out of control, sort of the machine has stopped. Maybe, maybe your life is, things aren't running the way that they need to. Uh, may, maybe, we, maybe you've had a death in the family. Maybe you had a sickness. Maybe, maybe you had a job loss. Maybe things in your life are just out of control, and the machine of your life has sort of come to a stop. And it feels like collectively, just as a world, we're kind of all standing around the machine, kind of looking at each other like, who knows what to do? And the truth of the matter is that it, 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 has, been, it has been very difficult. And it's tempting for us to do this, and I'm not here to be a, a Debbie Downer or anything, but here's the truth. It's tempting for us to think that this week, as the clock strikes midnight, January 1st, that things sort of magically just get better, that we sort of leave 2020 behind and move into 2021, and everything's magically okay. But the truth is, we don't know what's going to happen. But we didn't know when 2020 hit what all it would hold and, and all the things that it would bring. And we don't know whether things will get better or they will get worse or they will stay the same. We do not know. And I, I want to talk a little bit this morning about this idea that, that maybe we don't know what's coming, but we can be the people that God wants us to be to meet whatever is coming. That, that I believe that God wants to form us and shape us into the people he needs us to be. Wouldn't it be great if there was someone who kind of knew where to, where to smack things to get the world back in order again? And we, we know that ultimately this is, this is going to be Jesus, that ultimately there's going to be a day when he comes back and he wipes every tear from our eye and everything that's broken will be repaired and he will make all things new. And that is, that is our blessed hope. 
But the truth of the matter is that in the meantime, here's what God does, and I don't understand it, and I don't know why he chooses to do it, but in the meantime, he chooses to use people like you and me, broken people. We sing all the time, what the world needs is Jesus. Yes, I would agree with that, but here's the truth of the matter. Most of the time, the world needs to see Jesus through you and me. And that, that we, we get to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this project of restoration, of restoring, of bringing hope to the world. And I, I believe that God wants to form us and shape us and make us into the people he needs us to be for this moment in time. God is still very much in control. No matter what happens, no matter what comes our way, no matter what's happened in 2020, no matter what 2021 brings, God is still very much in control, and I believe he wants to use us to make a difference. And we see this in the Old Testament. If you've got a Bible, we're going to be in the book of Nehemiah. And to give you a little bit of background, the, the people of God, you think we've had a bad year? The people of God have had a bad 142 years. They have been in exile and God sent them into exile because they disobeyed God. They, they ran after other gods and God kept telling them, if you go after other gods, I'm going to send you into exile. You may say, well, what's exile? Exile is, imagine somebody comes to your house in the middle of the night tonight, drags you out of bed. Uh, you, you get to take just maybe a few possessions with you. They throw you on a plane. They send you to another country. You don't speak the language. You don't know the customs. You don't understand any of it. You're going there against your will and that's your new home now. And you're going to live there. And this had happened to them. They had disobeyed God. Babylon comes in, had, had, had destroyed the city of Jerusalem, dragged many of them off to Babylon. And they have been there now. Uh, they, they were there for 70 years, and God begins to let some of them come home. But, but coming home and rebuilding, it's not like they just flipped a switch, and all of a sudden, everything went back to the way it was. It, it took time. And so by the time we reach to, to the book of Nehemiah, there's, some of them have been away from Jerusalem for 142 years. So 142 years. Nehemiah was probably had uh, seen Jerusalem, maybe visited, but he did not live there. He did not grow up there. He was born in uh, Persia, underneath Persian rule. All he's known is exile. And we come to this moment and we can think, man, things are out of control. Where is God? He made all these promises to them. Is he going to come through? And the truth of the matter is God was still very much working. Even after over 140 years, God was still working. So we want God to work right now. We want him to do it the way we want him to do it and we want it done now. But God has a plan and he's working. And so we come to the book of Nehemiah. We're gonna begin reading in Nehemiah chapter one, and we're going to begin at verse one. And again, just to, to set it up just a little further, the people of God had been allowed to go home. They'd been in exile for 70 years. King Cyrus allows them to go home and begin to rebuild. They started to rebuild, but they ran into some problems. The, the nations around them, the, the people around them did not want them to rebuild because if if they rebuild and become powerful again, what happens? The people around them now begin to lose their power. And so it's not in their political interest to let Jerusalem be rebuilt. And so they begin complaining to the king of Persia and say, hey, these people are rebellious and they're crazy. And you let them rebuild, you're going to have problems. And you can read about that exchange in Ezra chapter 4, just a, a book over. And, and, and he, he goes in and halts the building. And so if you get this picture in your mind, they've been away They've been allowed to go home. They've started to rebuild, but they can't quite finish the job and things aren't going as well as they should. 
And what do they need? They need leadership. They need someone to step in there and begin to, begin to take things and begin to move them forward again. And so that's where we find Nehemiah. In Nehemiah chapter one, we're gonna begin reading at verse one. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakalah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in the Susa, the citadel, that Hananiah, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile, they're in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night and for your people, for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and we have not kept your commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I chose to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. Our text here, and, and this is what I want us to look at, our text shows us that God is working on behalf of his people. 142 years and God is still working on behalf of his people. And I think that this shows us this, that God raises up leadership in times of crisis. That, that when there is trouble and when the world feels like it is turning upside down, that God has a man, has a woman that he will raise up to lead his people. And I also want to submit that maybe uh, God wants to use you. That, that maybe you are the man or the woman in your world, in your sphere of influence that God wants to use to bring organization out of the chaos, to bring peace in the midst of trouble, to bring love, to bring hope in the midst of darkness. And I want us to look at Nehemiah here and see how God was working behind the scenes to make sure that his plan was done. First of all, we can see this, that, that God had placed Nehemiah in the right place. Nehemiah, it tells us, is cupbearer to the king. That means Nehemiah is the cupbearer of the, the king of Persia, one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful man on the planet at that time. God had strategically taken Nehemiah and placed him in that position. That means that the word there is almost like a butler, but it goes further than that. He is the guy who, who tests the, the food and the drink to make sure that the king is not poisoned. And so he has access to the king. He's in a position of a, a slight bit of authority and a bit of access. Like he, he sees the king on a regular basis. He interacts with the king on a regular basis. And God knew exactly what he was doing, placing that man right there in that spot in that moment. You know, I, I believe God places you and me at the right place. 
that, that it is no accident that you are where you are at the job you are at, in the family that you are at, in the moment that you're at. God places you at the right place. And then secondly, God didn't have Nehemiah just in the right place. He had him there at the right time, at the right, at the right moment. God had, God had been working throughout history and bringing everything to this moment. And Nehemiah is born at the right time, at the right age, at the right, everything just lines up and Nehemiah's in the right place at the right time in that right moment. You know, you may look back on this year and go, man, oh, man, this was a, what a year to live through and I wish I hadn't. No, 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 God, God placed you in this time, in this moment for, for a purpose. Uh, if you read through scripture, you'll find another Another exile named Esther living under Persian rule also says this, that maybe she was brought into a place of leadership for such a time as this. And may, maybe God has placed you where you are for such a time as this. And we can waste our time whining and crying and asking to be somewhere different. But listen, you are where you are for a reason. And so God has us at the right place at the right time. He's got Nehemiah at the right place at the right time. And not only that, he had given Nehemiah the right set of skills. If you read through the book, you will find Nehemiah has to kind of multitask. So he, he asks the king if he can travel back to Jerusalem and help them rebuild. And he does that and he gets all the things he needs to get together, but he has to go back and he's not just rebuilding walls. He has to gather the people and he has to organize them and he has to make sure everybody does their job. And then he's not just rebuilding walls. What good are walls if the people aren't together? So he leads not only a, a rebuilding of the walls, but he, he leads a spiritual renewal. And he has to have a leadership skills that, to organize people. And he has to have a backbone so that he can stand up against opposition because there's people that don't want them rebuilding. And he has every skill set needed to meet the challenges placed before him. So God had the right man there. He had, him, he had the, him at the right place at the right time with the right set of skills. But you know what? I, I don't think that that is everything that he needed because here's the truth. We can be at the right place in the right time with the right skills and still miss what God wants to do. We, we can still completely miss the plan of God. We can still be completely oblivious to what God wants to do. And this is what I want to talk about tonight, this morning and tonight. We're going to kind of do this in two parts. But I believe God not only had placed Nehemiah in the right place at the right time with the right skills, but God had formed Nehemiah into the right man. And I think what's most important in this as we turn over a new year is this, is not, not our place in time, not, not, not what happens to us, but are we going to allow God to form us into the right people? That if, if we will allow God to shape us and mold us and work in us to make us the man, the woman that he wants us to be, then whatever comes, we will be able to meet the challenge. That, then whatever comes, we will be able to, we'll be able to handle it. Because God, God wants to work in us. I, I think it's more important than our happiness and our comfort is that God forms us into the people he wants us to be. And that's not, that's not easy to hear, right? We, all, we want everything to be happy and nice and easy but more important than your comfort is God's development of your character. More important than our comfort is God working in us and forming us into the people he wants us to be. So what type of man was Nehemiah? Who had God formed him into? And we're going to look at a couple of these this morning and then a few more tonight. First of all, Nehemiah was a man who cared. If you're writing this down, Nehemiah was a man who cared. If you read it, what happens is Nehemiah is at the palace, uh, the Persian palace in Susa, and he gets a visit from his brother and, and some of their buddies, and they come back from Judah. And if you notice what it says here, it says this, Nehemiah is the one who asks the question. 
he asked this, how, how are things going back in Jerusalem? Now it's interesting that Nehemiah even took the time to ask the question, he, he, but he's the one who inquires. And his brother says, hey buddy, uh, you know, things aren't looking too hot back there. Like the walls are broken down, the city's burned, and Nehemiah is kind of in shock and he is just deeply upset about this. Because remember, there's a whole group of people that had gone back and they had begun to rebuild and they've had to stop. And so Nehemiah, word, you know, they didn't have text. You can't text them, email them. So word travels kind of slowly. So I imagine Nehemiah thought, hey, they've, they've gone back and they've begun rebuilding and everything's going well. And he gets word that things are not going so well. That, that what he thought might be going and moving forward isn't going and moving forward and things are not good. And it says that this, that he sits down and he weeps and he cries and he mourns for days. This was a man who cared deeply. And when he began to hear about the, the, the state of Jerusalem and the state of his home, it begins to move him to the point that he just breaks down and he cries and he weeps. And here's the interesting thing about this. He didn't have to care. Nehemiah lives far away from Jerusalem far away from the exiles, far away from all of that mess. He lives in the palace. He lives in luxury. He has access to some of the most powerful people in the world. He could have just kept going about his business and doing his thing and completely ignored Jerusalem. And who would have blamed him? The man's got it good. He, he, he's, he's living it up. He, he's got everything he needs right there. From a worldly perspective, there's no need to be concerned about those people over there. Sure, those are, those are his relatives, but you know what? Who cares about that? I've got everything I need right here. And he could have easily said, you know what? Forget it. I don't, I don't care. And gotten busy about his business in the palace and not cared. But something in him, be it his, the teaching that he was taught from his parents and grandparents and his family, the word of God that was deeply inside of him, something in him moved him to care about the, the issues that those people were facing in Jerusalem. Something in him moved him. God had so worked in his life that he didn't see that and go, you know, that's their problem, not mine. He saw it and it moved him deeply. And you know, we, we look at the world around us. I believe God wants us to care deeply about the world around us. That we can get so busy about our own business and doing our own things and going about our life, and we can miss what God wants to do amongst us and through us. I believe that one of the primary um, things that happens when we get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit works in us, is this, is that God gives us this uh, sort of a, a new eyes to see and new ears to hear what he's doing. I think that there are hurting and broken people all around us. And many times we just get busy going about our lives, right? And it's not that we mean to, it's just that we get so busy doing our own thing that we forget that there are people there that we need to care about. That there, there are problems there. And many times we go, well, you know, that's not my problem. Well, y yes, it is. It, it is our problem. Because, because God, God cares deeply about those problems. And God cares deeply about those people and God cares deeply about the things that they're going through. And he's called us to care deeply about those things. And Nehemiah is so moved that he weeps and cries and mourns. When's the last time we were moved about the problems facing our neighbors? 
When's the last time we were moved deeply about the, the, the issues facing uh, the, the people around us, our coworkers and our family members? God, God wants us to care deeply about them. He wants to form us into men and women who care about these things. I remember a few weeks ago, I was uh, a lot changed this year. For me, I got a, my little girl started kindergarten and my wife works you know, an hour away. And so she leaves before the rest of us do. And so it's uh, on me to get them up and get them out of the house, my six-year-old and my two-year-old. And so I'm, I don't know if you've ever tried to wrangle a six-year-old and a two-year-old and get them dressed and fed and out the door safely into school on time and all that stuff. Uh, but it is like, it is a feat, right? And so I remember I started doing that. I've been doing it for a few months and I noticed I would have all sorts of like, like it's just stressful, right? It's stressful. It makes me anxious. I'm like, oh, like getting them up, getting them ready. It's, 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 a, it's a challenge. So I was talking to somebody about it and uh, they asked the question. They said, well, what's the point in getting your kids up in the morning and getting them out the door? I'm like, I got to get them to school on time. And they were like, no, 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 what's the point? I said, uh, they got to get to school on time, right? Like I've, I've been through the car line at eight o'clock whenever they're yelling, you're late, you're late. Like I don't want to be that parent. And I don't want to be like, I don't want to send my kid through the office and down the gate. Like I could just see my daughter getting, you know, confused and not know where to go. Like this is all going through my head. Right. And he goes, no, 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 no. What's the point of getting with your, your kids ready in the morning? I said, man, like, I, I don't know where you're trying to get out of here, but like to get them there on time. Like they got to be at school, daycare. We got to get going. And he goes, no. I said the point is what the point always is. It's relationship. And I said, okay, come, come again. He's like, if, if you would quit thinking and worrying about getting them where they need to go and just remember that you can, you're spending time with them and you're with them, like that would make all the difference in the world. And you know, that little thought shift, like I still get there on time, but that little, that little thought shift really helped. And I wonder sometimes, especially those of us like me who are task oriented, we go through life like this, like we got a destination and we got to get there. And there's all these people along the way that maybe we're missing that maybe we need to slow down and remember that it is all about the relationship, that it is about people. Maybe you've become so busy kind of doing your thing and you miss the point of what God's trying to speak to you about the people around you, your coworkers, your neighbor, your friends, your family members. Maybe we get so busy. You know, that's one of the reasons that God's people went into exile in the first place is this, is they cared more about themselves than they did about their neighbors. That was, one of their, that was one of their biggest sins was they got rich and they got wealthy and they got comfortable and they stopped caring about people around them. And I think one of our biggest problems many times, we, we, we worry about so many other sins, which we should, but we fail to mention the fact that many times we just flat out forget to care about other people. And God sees that and is displeased with that. And that he wants us to look at and care for other people. And my prayer is this, as we go into 2021, may God help us to care about the things that he cares about. May he move us deeply for our unsaved coworkers, our unsaved kids, our unsaved parents. May he move us deeply for missions and missionaries. May he, may he give us a burden for our neighbors and our coworkers and our family members. May we care about them. May God form us into people who care. May the Holy Spirit give us eyes to see and ears to hear what he is saying. And may we see people. You know, there's a difference between seeing and seeing, right? Most of the men in the room, if you're like me, your wife says, hey, go to the room and look for this. And you go and you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I don't see it there. 
And she comes in and she's like, hey, it's right here. And you're like, oh, uh, you mean there? Oh, there, right? Like there's a difference between seeing and seeing. And the spirit of God gives us eyes to see things that we don't see on our own and to hear the cries of people that otherwise we wouldn't hear. You know, sometimes when people are talking, what they're saying, they're saying something deeper. And I pray that the Spirit of God would give us ears to hear and eyes to see, and that we would care deeply about people. So Nehemiah was a man who cared. God had formed him into a man who cared deeply. And then secondly, Nehemiah was a man of prayer. His concern here moves him into prayer, that, that he goes into fasting and praying. And this was not some little... Uh, prayer before his meal or some now I lay me down to sleep. The man weeps and fasts and prays for four months. Four months. He prays for four months before he takes any action. He spends time in prayer. This text tells us again that he weeps and fasts and the order of his prayer is significant. He praises God and talks about how good God is and then he brings his, his petition to God. His prayer reveals uh, that he knew God's character and he knew God's word. That's huge. His prayer reveals that he knows God's character and knows God's word because this was a man who knew how to pray. If we look further into the book, you see nine times in this short book. The book's only uh, 13 chapters long and you see nine times in this short book that this man prays. And most of them are short prayers but this man knows how to pray. In chapter two, verse four, he's, he's going to the king and he's gonna ask him for the things that he needs to go back and rebuild the wall. And he prays before he does that. In, in chapter four and verse nine, Israel, he's there and they're trying to rebuild the wall and they're getting some opposition. What does he do? It says he prays and he sets a guard. He knows how to pray. He knows when the moment is, is difficult, where does he go to? He goes to prayer. And we have to remember that in our difficult moments and even in our not difficult moments, the first place we ought to go is prayer. Prayer is the gasoline that runs the engine. Like you, you've got to have it. It's the oxygen to your Christian walk. You have to pray. This thing starts with prayer. I mean, think about it. It starts with prayer. We say a prayer, the prayer of salvation, and it, it, it continues in prayer. Like your relationship with God is one based on prayer. You've got to talk to him and listen to him in order to be in relationship with him. You don't, you don't just like, the, we, we often think of it like this. If, you, if you're saved and not praying, it's the equivalent of you, uh, men, if you went and you, you asked your wife to marry you and she said yes, you know, and you went through the ceremony and you get married and then you never speak to her again. Like maybe you had the wedding, but you don't have much of a marriage. And, and there are many people who got saved and they've sort of gone through the ritual of the thing, but they haven't talked to God in a long time. And may, maybe you're saved, maybe, but it's not much of a relationship with Jesus. And he's inviting you to know him in prayer. He wants to form us into people who pray. If you don't feel like praying, pray to feel like praying. Like God, can, God will give you the desire to pray. Say, God, I, this is, I don't feel like it, but here I am. Give, give me the desire. Give me a hunger for you, Jesus. Help me, give me a thirst for you. God, draw me to prayer. If, you'll, if, you'll make, if you don't feel like praying, just make that your prayer. Lord, draw me to prayer. God, God, God pull me towards prayer. God, push me toward whatever you gotta do. God, move me towards prayer. If we're gonna make it, we've got to be people who are connected to Jesus. And we've gotta be connected to him in prayer. Nehemiah knew, man, I, I'm not gonna make it if I don't pray. 
If I, if I don't pray, the task ahead is way too much for me if I don't pray. And we, we've got to learn, listen, prayer is not just um, you taking your needs to God. I, I think of it this way. You have conversations with people and the conversations are quite different, right? They, they vary. So with, with one person, you can have moments where you're conversing and maybe you're joking. Maybe you're laughing with each other. Maybe you're having a sad conversation and you're talking about things that make you upset. Or maybe you've had uh, those like, hey, we have to talk, right? Conversations where you sit down and you, you have to really focus and you, you're talking about something deep. Or maybe if you've known someone for a while, you have moments where you're present with them, but nobody's even talking. You don't have to, you're just with them. And I think sometimes in our prayer with God, we're very one dimensional. We only think of it in terms of me talking to God and me basically talking about the things that I need and maybe throwing him some worship and uh, saying, help me with my day, and we sort of move on. And prayer with God, I think, ought to be at least as multifaceted and as um, interesting as our other relationships are. That there ought to be times with God where we just pour our heart out before him and we just weep and we just give him our sorrow and our pain. There ought to be times with God where we just rejoice with him and laugh with him and just enjoy his presence and just the joy of the Lord is just, just there. There ought to be times with God, and I, I think this is important, and we miss this so much in the modern church. There ought to be moments with God. You should try this. Uh, try for just two minutes a day. Set your little alarm on your, your, your watch or your phone or whatever. Two minutes a day. I think we ought to just sit in quiet before God. The, the world is crazy. I don't know if you've been out there, but it is, they're nuts. And if, if you don't take a minute and quiet all of that mess and just be still before God, I think you're missing, you, will, you are missing something that God wants to do in your life. So many times we're trying to do the talking and if we would shut our mouths for a moment and just sit in the quiet, number one, God would speak and we would hear him. And number two, you would, you wouldn't, you would be amazed at what it would do for you if you would just allow God into that space, that, that, that quiet moment in your life. Most of us don't want to do that because if we're alone in the quiet with ourselves for more than about a minute, like stuff starts coming up. But the truth is stuff needs to come up and God wants to deal with our stuff. But most of us won't quiet down long enough to actually let it come up and let God deal with it. And maybe this year, maybe you need to carve out some time just for some, some quiet. It's a discipline. It's a spiritual discipline called silence and solitude. You get by yourself. You sit in the quiet. You wait on God. You don't have to say a thing. You fix your mind on him. You let, you let, you let his scripture just roll through your mind and you just concentrate on who he is and how good he is. And you sit there quietly and just let him begin to speak to you. And I'm telling you, you will, like, again, our society, we run like, we run so crazy because you're valued based on what you can produce. And you can only produce if you keep moving. And God says, no, 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 no. That's, that's not why you're valued. You're valued because you're mine. You're important because you're mine. And when we take time to intentionally say, no, no, I'm, I'm going to be quiet, be still, and be alone with Jesus. And there are times, listen, we need to reclaim. You go back and read the Psalms and reclaim the Psalms of lament. What does lament mean? It's just a, I'm crying out to God. God, I'm in pain. God, I, I'm hurting. And God, I, I love Psalm 13. How long, oh Lord, how long? You know, it's okay for you to pray that to God, to just say, 
God, I've had it. Like, how, how long am I going to have to do this? How long are we going to have to go through this, God? It's okay for you to bring those things to God. Like, our conversations with him need to be multi-layered, and, and they need to, we need to bring all of that emotion and all of our, just everything we've got, we can bring it into our conversation with God. That, that God because God wants to meet us there, and he wants to work in us, and he wants to form us. God wants to form us into people who care, and God wants to form us deeply into people of prayer. Prayer is what's going to fuel this thing, and prayer is what's going to give us the strength that we need, and prayer is what's going to keep us in the midst of all the stuff that life throws at us. So what, what does all this mean for us today? First of all, relax. Take a deep breath. You're not driving the car. Quit trying to drive the car. God is in control. Whatever you see on the news, whatever you see in the newspapers, whatever you see on social media, first of all, turn that off for a minute and get along with God. It'll do you some good. But whatever you see on there, like, great, wonderful, okay. But here's the, the story behind the story is this, God's still in control. That, that there is, there's a narrative underneath all of the competing narratives and stories that the world tries to throw out of it. And that is this, God is in control. And just as he was working in the life of this man, Nehemiah, after 142 years, he works to raise him up in the right place at the right time with the right skills, and he makes him the right man. God's got this under control. Nothing surprised, he's not surprised by coronavirus. He's not surprised by elections. He's not surprised by unrest. He's, he's not like, none of this shocks God. He's not out of control, and you shouldn't be out of control either. I was thinking the other day, about the fruit of the spirit, right? And how the first three are love and joy and peace, right? And we should pray for those things to be working in our lives. I hope that you do. But I was thinking as well, man, those are attributes of God, right? God is loving. God is love. God is joyful. He's full of joy. God, God is peaceful. And you know what? None of that has changed. I, I had that thought the other day and I was like, whoa, like not, none of that has changed. God is not less loving or less joyful or less peaceful or less kind or less good or less patient or have less self-control or less gentleness than he had last year at this time. He's still, he's, he's still got all, all of that still him. And you know what? We can, we can lean into that and say, God, everything else out there might be out of control, but I can still come to you knowing you're a God of love and of joy and peace and I can have that in my life as well. So we can relax, take a deep breath. The world might be going crazy, but God is in control. And if you will hold on to him, he's got you through the midst of it. And then secondly, this, I think we have to prepare that, there, that God, God is interested in, in using us to make a difference. Like, like there are things you can do right now in your home in your workplace, in your, in your world that make a difference. And here's the question, will you be the man, the woman of God that is needed in that, in that place? And how do you do that? By submitting yourself to Jesus and allowing him to, to make you a person who cares deeply about the things that, that God cares about. And you let him form you into a person of prayer. And tonight we're going to talk about some more of those things that Nehemiah, attributes that Nehemiah had that God wants to work into our lives. But if we, man, imagine our church, our world, our community, if we just did those two things. If we just said, hey, 2021, you know, 
come at me. Like, bring whatever you got because I'm ready because I'm gonna be the man, the woman that God wants me to be. I'm, I'm gonna be the person that God wants me to be. 2020 might've been rough, but whatever 2021 brings, it doesn't matter. I'm gonna be the man, the woman God wants me to be. I'm gonna be a person of compassion and care. I'm gonna think about other people. I'm gonna to listen to what the Holy Spirit might be saying and I'm gonna obey what he might be saying and I'm gonna do something about the things that I see. And then, then I'm gonna be a person of prayer. I'm gonna be a man, a woman of prayer. Like if we would just start with those two things, man, it's a sight what God could do. It's a sight what God could do in our community. It's a sight what God could do in your life. It's a sight what God could do in our world. If we would just commit to, God, you, you mold me. God, you make me. God, God, shape this in my life. And as we do that, man, we'll look back at the end of 2021 or wherever and see, man, God was working the whole way through. And even in the midst of struggle and pain and setbacks and going through stuff we didn't want to go through and facing problems we didn't want to face, like even in the midst of that, God was still God and we made it through and God's still in control, and we are today more like Jesus than we were before. And that's the whole point, that we would become more like Jesus. Not that we would get more comfortable, not that we would have nicer stuff, not that we would always get what we want. The whole point is, make me more like Jesus. And sometimes that means going through some stuff. And sometimes that means facing some things we don't wanna face. But in the midst of that, if we will submit ourselves to him, he'll make us into the people he needs us to be.